All right, kiddos, thanks for joining us for song. You are out. Uh, worship is not over. Sometimes we use bad language that says, now we're not going to worship, and instead we're going to do sermon. It's all worship. So um, Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. I'd invite you to open up to Acts chapter 2. End of the book of Luke. A question is asked, did not our hearts burn within us? It was two of Jesus' disciples on the road back to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them but hides his identity from them and begins to open the scriptures to them. You know, they were thinking about their future. They were wondering about what was to come now that their Lord and Savior Jesus had died. And with the appearance of Christ coming and beginning to open the scripture and saying this had to happen all along, this was part of God's plan, their future and their discussions about the future had to have turned on a dime because their eyes were open to some things. Let me ask you this question. What feelings, what questions, what fears arise when I mention the future? As in your future, not the future, but like your future. It comes to us in all sorts of ways. Sometimes people will come and innocently ask, so what are your plans? Now that this is over, what are your plans? And that can immediately stir in all kinds of questions and fears and doubts and uh, feelings in us. Sometimes it's just as simple as this question on the screen. What's next? And maybe today you're thinking about your future and it's filled with hope. Maybe you're just absolutely feared with anticipation of what's coming next. Maybe you have a sense of what's next and that's part of what excites you. On the other hand, maybe it's filled with dread. Maybe the dread is not even what's coming. Maybe it's because you don't know what's coming. We face this all the time. We have cycles and we're always thinking. We have the capacity to remember the past, to live in the present, but also to think about the future and what's coming and what could be. We all wake up every day with a certain level of certainty and a certain level of fogginess. Now, don't point to your family members, but some of us wake up more foggy than others. Um, and foggy has different layers to it, so we'll kind of we'll kind of get into some of this. Let me say this though: God wants us to walk forward in faith because we are walking with Him. God wants us to walk forward in faith because we are walking with Him. If your future is represented on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and for me, that's always, because I grew up in San Jose, for me, that's always sort of the south end of the bridge is where you would start, and you head over to sort of the Sausalito side of of the bridge. So if your future is represented on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, it has something to teach us. Raise your hand if you have walked or biked across the Golden Gate Bridge, okay? Wow, a surprisingly few, like maybe 40%, I don't know, something like that. Um, I highly recommend walking across the Golden Gate Bridge. I used to work a lot with international students, and the Golden Gate Bridge is world famous. And so um, an easy activity would be go to San Francisco and walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. It was a really fun thing to do. Um, It's relatively cheap, costs you a little bit of energy, maybe some parking, um, but really a spectacular thing. One of the things about the Golden Gate Bridge is this. I was there with my daughters one day, 
And, um, and if you've walked across the Golden Gate Bridge, you know that, that descriptions and pictures don't do it justice. It's not unforgettable if you see a picture or hear a description, but if you've walked across the Golden Gate Bridge and taken the time to do that or biked across it, then you, you probably have some visceral memories about it. Uh, one time I was with my daughters and I had slow-mo videos. Like I think when the latest iPhone release had the slow-mo just kind of built into your camera and we were filming, my daughter's hair was like straight out because the wind was so incredibly strong. It was one of those days you had to almost lean a little bit forward. Um, on another occasion, I remember there was a news story um, about a child, maybe some of you remember this, years and years ago, a child um, slipped between the cracks walking across the Golden Gate Bridge. And even after, um, even after they fixed that, my wife, I remember we were walking across the Golden Gate Bridge, and my wife um, is tough as nails and doesn't fear many things, but spiders and kids falling through the crack on the Golden Gate Bridge are two of them. And we had to hold on to our kids, even though there wasn't much logic to the fact that they weren't going to be able to fall through anymore because they fixed that problem. But man, that was lodged in my wife's brain. Unforgettable to just go to the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate provides us a picture of some parallel truth in our life with God. The path is clear. We know where to walk. There's some things that are sure, but the fog remains. So, the Holy Spirit, as we, th- as we dive into Acts chapter 2, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of those things that if, if you describe him or somehow paint a picture of him, which is really challenging, it doesn't do it justice. But to experience the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Holy Spirit, is unforgettable. The Golden Gate is really impressive to look at, but it's so much more. The main gift of the Golden Gate Bridge is not just the beauty and majesty, although it's there. Probably one of the most photographed bridges in the world. The main thing about the bridge is it gets us somewhere. It actually takes us where we could not go on our own. The Holy Spirit is on a mission to help us complete the mission. The Holy Spirit gets us somewhere. The Holy Spirit moves us from one place to another in ways that we could not go on our own, much like the Golden Gate Bridge. The path of the Golden Gate Bridge is really, really clear, even though it's foggy. This is an apt description of life in the Spirit. We walk on solid ground with utter certainty about certain things about the Holy Spirit. And sitting side by side with that, Um, is that there are many, many things about the Holy Spirit that are completely foggy to us. They are mysterious to us. If we were to demand to see the whole picture before we were to begin walking, we would forever remain stuck where we are. Look at this picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. Can you see the rest of the bridge? No. It takes faith to trust that the bridge is still there beyond what you can see. Over and over and over and over again, we see this pattern in Scripture, that God gives us some sure things and says, go in this direction, and just simply says, this bridge will hold you. But I'm hard-pressed to think of a single time in my life, personally, or in scriptural history, where the whole path is seen with clarity. God delights in having us trust him. God gives us just what we need. 
Biblical examples abound in this, but let me give you three. And what I want to paint for you is I want to paint for you three of perhaps the most important events in the redemptive story that God is accomplishing. Okay, That's a big statement, and I'm not positive these are the, the three, but they're pretty big. Here's number one, creation. Creation uh, is talked about in Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. One of the really fun things about having Tegan be at, um, at a Bible college is we had a rousing discussion last week about, um, about what was going on in Genesis. And we had fun sort of chasing some different rabbit trails about, uh, about what God's original intent may have been and what sin did to break that. And so we're kind of discussing back and forth some of these different things. Super fun to explore curiosities about what God may have intended and how he's restoring it. There is a lot of fog when it comes to beginnings, isn't there? There's a lot of fog when it comes to our universe, the world that we inhabit. There's a lot of fog when it comes to our own bodies. But while there's a lot of fog, there's a really clear path. Here's what we know from Genesis, that this is good. God created it, meaning the world and the universe, that things went horribly wrong, and that God is in the process of restoring what was broken. Is that clear from Genesis? Yeah, those are the things we can know for sure. What's, one of the, path, what's the path laid out? Pursue marriage. Be fruitful and multiply. Tend to the work, even though it's going to be frustrating now because of sin. So, lots of fog, but clear that God started it all. Let me take you from creation to the cross of Jesus Christ. And by the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm including his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that we looked at last week. There's plenty of mystery and fogginess that surrounds the cross. Even the fact that most of the New Testament is looking back on and explaining what was going on, the theological and world implications of what it means that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Still lots of fogginess remains. But even though there's lots of fog, it's clear that God is victorious over sin and death. Remember last week, part of the beauty, part of the gift of the ascension is Jesus, while he was blessing his disciples, his friends at that intimate place of Bethany, he, went, he, he rose up out of their sight while they were gazing into the sky at him. Jesus died in front of their faces. He left alive and well and blessing them in front of their faces. It's a giant billboard that says death is conquered, it's going to be okay. You no longer have to fear what's beyond the grave because I've conquered the grave and I'm showing you, I'm going first, you're going to follow in my footsteps. Let me take you from creation to the cross to what we just sang about in that last verse of that song. Thank you, Catherine, for singing that. The birth of the church. So from creation to cross to the church. The Spirit comes in power and the church is born. Like natural childbirth, it is unforgettable and miraculous to witness a birth. The supernatural birth of the church is a unique day in history that if you lived there and saw it in person would be unmatched, probably of all your days on earth of what you just witnessed. So around the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2, There's lots of fog, but it is really clear that God keeps his promises 
and will continue to do so. That's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to just address uh, one of the things that we don't do around here is we don't just chase the headlines and preach to the headlines. We all know this intuitively, but it's worth remembering that when you pick up your phone and scroll to what news stories might be interesting to you, there is someone on the other end steering the spotlight on something for you to look at. When you turn on your television and you watch the news, no matter how you consume the news, if you're old school and like like that feel of ink on your hands of a newspaper. No matter what you do, someone is curating those stories and opinions and sort of shining the light on something, right? And, and that means there's loads of things that aren't being shown on in the background. So we don't chase the headlines around here. We preach through God's word and God's word speaks to the headlines. My job is not to make the scriptures relevant to you. The scriptures are relevant to you. My job is to teach the scriptures in such a way that says, what does it look like in this time and day and place in this location? But let me just point out some headlines because they're just, it's been quite a year so far. Let me take a couple of of things like where we take the fogginess of life and say, what do we know for sure? What are the things that we know that, that that are like the the, the steel of the iron uh, of, 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 the, of the Golden Gate Bridge. They're fixed and known, and we can rest on them. And let's address sort of the fogginess and sort of what's sitting there. Let me, let me talk about this. Mass shootings in the state of California. Shocking. Scary. Angering, confusing. Here's what we know about violence, that on a daily basis around the world, wicked, extreme violence is going on all the time, every single day. It hits hardest when it hits closest to home. So the fact that it's in our state that we live in makes us stand up and take notice, maybe on a different level. How about the need for police power because of all the crime going on and corruption of that same power. Do you know that power needed and power corrupted goes on all day, every day, in every nation on the planet, and in every organization known to mankind? Let me take one more. Race fears that boil over into evil. This happens every day all over the world. It's not unique to the United States. Let me, come, let me come back to last week, which says this, that Christian, if you are a Christian here, you're a follower of Jesus, then you are the witnesses of Jesus Christ. You are to be my witnesses, Jesus said, and you are to make disciples. Giant big direction of the Golden Gate Bridge, giant path and plan, go and make disciples, be my witnesses. So we say there's lots of fog, though, but, but what do we know? Coming back to some things that we know. How about violence? First of all, the heart of mankind is desperately sick. Do you know who will never be the Messiah? Lawmakers. Right? Legislation is not our salvation. That is not the path to salvation. That being said, I pray for godly legislators to make good laws. 
That's a worthwhile prayer. God cares about justice. But legislation is not the answer, and lawmakers are not our messiahs. What we know about violence is this. God says this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Why? Because our vengeance doesn't ever heal the hurt. It just causes more. The anger of man, personalize it. The anger of Dave does not accomplish the things of God. So what we know, bedrock truth, is that's not the answer. That's not the path. How about power? Well, we can know for absolute sure that power comes from God and is to be used to benefit others. Power comes from God and is to be used to benefit others. That means this. We don't chuck all power structures. Head-subordinate relationships are all through the scriptures, designed by God and good. That's bedrock. We also know that power corrupts, ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Right? That we guard against that. In membership class last week, we talked about what does it look like to be elders in the church? How are the shepherds to lead. The shepherds are to lay down their life and lead in service to other people. That's how. We're to lead fundamentally different than how the world leads. The world tends to exert power and fear, and we're to lead in the way of Jesus, which is to get down low and wash the feet of others. How about questions of race? and anger, and violence, and things that go on, and should we stop it or not stop it, and who's doing the shooting, and who's being shot, and how is it being reported? A lot of fogginess. Here's what we know, and we're going to see this in our text today. God is for all nations. God is for all nations, and his spirit is doing a work that nothing else, no other force, no other person on the planet can accomplish this. His spirit is uniting all the peoples of the earth into one family. That's what we know. That's bedrock truth. So we hold on to those kinds of things. What we're going to do right now is we're going to look back on Acts, and we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about the early church. And as we do so, I want you to take note of this. We're going to do this in two parts. This was one sermon that turned into two. There are things that are obvious about the Holy Spirit, and there are things that are mysterious about the Holy Spirit. Amen? So here's what I want to do today. I want to take this Sunday, and I want to talk about things that are obvious. God is, in fact, mysterious, but he is knowable. Do you know how I know that? Because he's revealed himself to us. If God were to not have revealed himself to us, he would be altogether unknowable. And Julie's opinion of what God is like and mine would be on equal footing utter cluelessness. We don't know. We would not have come up with a cross. We would not have come up with all the things that we read about in the scripture. God is altogether mysterious, and yet he is knowable because he's made himself known. But has he made himself be known completely? No. There are secret things about God that belong to God alone and aren't ours. They're above our pay grade to know those things about God. So as we talk In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, um, again, sort of bridge facts that we can hold on to and know for sure, and we're going to identify and, and even celebrate the fog, that there's a mystery to how God works. Let me pray. 
God, I, I pray that uh, as we wade into, um, God, just some waters about who you are and how you work and the birth of our church, meaning the church that Jesus Christ instituted, I pray that you would fill us with a humility to receive what is from you. We thank you, God, for the internal work of the Holy Spirit that prompts ideas, that calls to mind memories, that works from within. And we thank you for the unchanging word of God that is always in conjunction with that. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things we want to do is grow in our language about how we talk about the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I'm particular to with the band is as we sing, we want to sing um, good theology because music has a way of getting in us and you'll find yourself singing truths. There are like 80 songs that I'll be singing along. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't believe in that. What am I singing? I'm happily married. Like that, that is not what I want in my mind. Why is that there? Because of the power of music. So one of the language things that's really interesting is this. You will see this written into songs. You'll see this written. Um, In fact, we say this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We sing that. We sing that lyric. You know what a good clarifying point is about that? That God, the the here that we're talking about, and we're going to see this as we move through Acts, the here that we're talking about is not the atmosphere It's not this building. The here that we're talking about is the human heart. You know how you welcome the Holy Spirit? You do not get worked up. You don't sing a chorus over and over, and you don't need fog machines or lighting. The way you welcome the Holy Spirit is you you come and you humbly submit to God. That's how you welcome. You meekly receive the word of truth. That means, God, whatever I hear from you today, I already say yes in advance. Whatever I see today in myself that isn't pleasing to you or doesn't line up with Scripture, I will question and I will get rid of. I will change to adjust to you. I won't demand that you adjust and change to me. So one of the things when we sing a song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, I want you to recognize the here is the human heart. And where do I get that? How do I know that to be true? What makes you the authority? The Word of God is going to show us that. Okay, we're going to look at that in part today. Any discussion on God in general and the Holy Spirit in particular must be bathed with humility. Let me just tell, tell you, there is fear and trepidation for any human being to get up and teach the Word of God to people. I feel that every single week. It doesn't keep me from walking forward, but I feel that weight of responsibility. When it comes to talking about the Trinity, we just sang the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When it comes to talking about the character and nature and person of God, which which is really the central theme of what we talk about here on Sundays, there is simply much that I don't understand and never will, and neither do you. We're on equal footing there. But there's a real weight, there's a reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. There's a reverence and awe that comes with this. At the end of the book of Job, what does Job talk to what does God talk to to, to Job about? He highlights all the things Job doesn't know. Job, where were you when? Remember that? And he begins to lay out all these different things. 
some of which we still don't understand. He's not being mean to Job. He's enlarging Job's vision of who he's dealing with. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Church, submit your thoughts. Submit what you have been taught. Submit what you believe to God's revealed word, to the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I think a healthy sign of growth is that that is changing and growing over time. That as we see something in the scripture, we go, whoa, I've always thought about it differently. This seems really clear that I was wrong, that we adjust to our new knowledge. I'm not even sure who says this. I I forgot to write this down. I usually like to quote. But let me just say this, that God moves a giant step closer to each of us than even Jesus walking the earth. Because this is the moment, church, where the Holy Spirit now comes and dwells in us, with us at all times, in all places, empowering us. Someone said this, if you have the Spirit without the Word, you will blow up. If you have the Word Without the Spirit, you will dry up. And if you have the Word and the Spirit, you will grow up. Let me tell you, there are whole denominations that act as if Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, are there in isolation. There are other denominations that skip Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13 altogether And they jump right to the bottom half of the chapter. What's the bottom half of the chapter? It's Peter's Christ-exalting sermon from the Word of God. Let me read this quote again. And keep in mind, we don't have to choose between whether we have the Word or the Spirit. In fact, I'd take it a step further. We don't get to choose whether we keep the Word or the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, sitting side by side, is preached Christ-exalting Bible and earth-shaking, unexplainable, mysterious spirit. They live side by side in chapter 2. If you have the spirit without the word, you will blow up. If you have the word without the spirit, you will dry up. If you have the word and the spirit, you will grow up. That's my heart for us moving forward is that we would grow up. All right. Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13. I'm just going to read this. Look at it through the lens of what are some things we can know from this and what are things that remain foggy in your mind as we read this. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire, appeared to them and rested each one, uh, rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they were, now, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitudes came together, and they were at the sound at this sound the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these all, uh, all, all these who are speaking, Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. All right, so much that's obvious in here, much that's mysterious in here. This week, what's obvious? If you're taking notes, jot this down. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. This is a promise-fulfilling passage in the Bible. Do not miss that. This is part of the bridge that is real, sturdy, trustworthy. Even though you can't see all the way across and you don't know the future promises he's going to keep, that's a rock-solid thing you can take to the bank. Pentecost is a unique day in world history. Again, I'm putting it up there with creation and the cross. At the heart of what we read today, Pentecost is the fulfillment of a promise. In fact, this day... And the results that came with this day were promised clearly and repeatedly. Now, put yourself in the time of this. What I would say is this, most recently from Jesus. So just a tiny bit earlier from Pentecost, the day it happened, is Jesus promising that they will receive power from on high. I say that he promises it repeatedly because elsewhere, John 14 through 16, we see that he promises um, another like me, a helper. He says this over and over that this is going to happen. But beyond that, throughout the Old Testament, God the Father uh, promises through the prophets to future generations. Let me give you just one example. In the book of Joel chapter 2, God promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then that's looking back. How about looking forward? Paul, as he writes the New Testament, refers a couple of different times to the promised Holy Spirit. One is in Galatians 3 and one is in Ephesians 1. The idea that this was a long-anticipated event. The day of Pentecost caught them by surprise, but didn't catch them by surprise. In the moment, they had no idea what was going on. But even just in the days after, they realized, oh, this is that day. This is what we've heard about. This is what was to come. This is God, our promise-keeping God, keeping his word. That's what's going on here. Now, signs accompany this. And God is saying to one and all, pay attention. This is big. Right? Parents, we know this. Teachers know this. I once in a while say, put your pen down, look at me for a second. Right? That is me saying, hey, catch this one bit. I know I've been talking a lot. Pay attention. But if I lit my hair on fire and rode an ice unicycle around, you would really like stop what was going on. Right? That would be a huge thing. Like, this is really big. We've never seen Dave do this before uh, or, or, or since. So this is God saying, pay attention. So signs accompany the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And also fruit comes from the Holy Spirit. There's a result that comes from it. 
Of course, Galatians 5 ought to come to mind, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's one fruit collectively, that what happens when the Spirit of God is on the human hearts is that there's what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. The whole fruit of the Spirit, like that's just this beautiful picture of how humanity was designed to function. So there's signs that accompany the Holy Spirit. There's also fruit that comes from it. Here's what's beautiful. Another name for Pentecost is the Feast of Harvest. That's really beautiful, that at the Feast of Harvest, the Holy Spirit comes. And what's going to happen by the end of chapter 3? The harvest of 3,000 lost souls are going to join the church. How do you join the church? You say, we're sinners. What should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you join the church. So a giant harvest comes right on the heels of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. Don't miss that. Francis Chan says this, When believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. That this was God acting and moving and keeping a promise was unmistakable to the Jews who were present. And here's how I know that. He talks about wind and fire. Wind and fire. Wind and fire, all through the Old Testament, represent the presence and the working of God. There's too many examples to give to you to, 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 to kind of show you this, but let me give you just a couple. First of all, fire. Think about the burning bush with Moses. Think about the pillar of fire by night, God leading them. Uh, think about the consuming fire that comes, uh, clear, clear activity of God burning up the altar. So, so this is just sort of woven through that. How about wind? Well, I would have you jot down just one chapter, Ezekiel chapter 37. The word spirit and the word wind are actually one word in Hebrew, interchangeable. So that's a giant thing. But a very, very clear picture is Ezekiel 37. You, remember the, you, you may remember the valley of dry bones. There's a bunch of bones, and the wind, the Spirit of God, breathes life into them. So wind and fire, not earth, wind, and fire. Uh, let's, ask what I, let's ask, what do you want on the Scrabble board this morning? I said, put wind and fire, but don't put earth, wind, and fire. That will completely mix up the message and, and get us off track. That God was the one doing this sign was unmistakable to Jews because of the mighty rushing wind and the tongues as of fire. Think about this, that each believer now has the Holy Spirit was also graciously crystal clear. Tongues as of fire came and were on each one of them, every single person. That was God saying really, really clearly, my presence is now in you unmistakable, unmistakable that we all as believers have the Holy Spirit. We're gifted with the Holy Spirit. Right by the end of chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved and people who were rebels toward God became believers in God. And Peter promises you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, at the moment of conversion, you were gifted the Holy Spirit. Each one of you. Not special people that get it and some that don't. 
Remember we talked a couple weeks ago that Acts is this transition book. That, that the presence of God is no longer at a temple that we go to. This is God's, this is the next sort of rocket stage in God's plan. And he launches it forward. All right, so God's a promise-keeping God. Another clear-as-day reality that we can hold on to from this passage is God has a plan. Remember what Jesus says to the disciples? Oops, look at that. That's the first one. Here's the second one. God has a plan. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, you go be my witnesses and make disciples. Uh, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's God's plan. He revealed it to them. He told them. That's a huge plan. Now, we can sit here, you know, all these years later with all this history behind us and say, yeah, but it's not too big for God. True statement. But if you put yourself in the place of the disciples, you're a Galilean fisherman. You probably haven't traveled farther than you can walk in your life. The people in your family have never traveled farther than they can walk in their lives. And same with grandma and great-grandpa and all that. And then Jesus says that you're going to be my witnesses here and to the whole world. In one swoop, in one moment, God accomplishes must have, much of what must have concerned the disciples as they, as they see Jesus ascend. And remember the, the angels say, why are you staring up at heaven? Get to it. Go be my disciples. Go work the plan. What was the plan at that point? The plan was go and wait for the Holy Spirit. That was it. So they did it. Aren't you glad the disciples obeyed? I am. Because what they had no idea was was what was just around the corner. What was just around the corner is God saying, let me show you how I'm going to work this plan through you. I don't know if they were doers and planners like we have in the Silicon Valley, but we have a lot of doers and planners in Silicon Valley. It's part of what makes you work here. You like to figure things out and get things done and accomplish and work the problem. I don't know what the disciples were thinking. All right, um, we're going to need to know some languages. I guess we'll do some language study. Uh, Anyone have a car? I don't know. I don't know what their plan was, but they at least obeyed and waited for the Holy Spirit. The sign that God gives in giving the Holy Spirit is super intentional. He doesn't just give the Holy Spirit and do those things for for no reason. I don't pretend to know all the mysteries of why God did it, but let me toss out a couple of thoughts. This is showing God had an intentional plan. First of all, did the mighty rushing wind get their attention? Yes. Did the tongues of fire get their attention? Yes. Did the fact that all of a sudden tons of people were hearing their own language, the glories of God, get their attention? Absolutely. Second, this idea of tongues of fire on simple Galileans now able to speak the language they had never studied was very intentional. The text says devout Jews were already there. Verse 6, at this sound, the multitude came together. So just what is needed to kickstart the plan is that all of a sudden, Galileans who hadn't studied other languages were speaking fluently in those languages. Let me tell you about the early days of the church. Early days of this church, 2006, I am here, and I'm hearing tons of Spanish. As I walk the neighborhood, as I hear next door, the the graduation used to be on campus at John Muir, and they did the the graduation bilingual, English and Spanish. 
And I thought, wow, that's, again, that's a lot of Spanish in this neighborhood. There's other languages represented, but if they're doing it bilingual, that means there's a lot of Spanish speakers. So I would go around, I'd meet neighbors. I, you've heard me say this, but I know just enough Spanish to be dangerous. So for two sentences, I sound very authentic. And then I have no idea what you're saying, and I don't know how to tell you, talk to you back. So people would come to this church service in this building. They would come for two weeks. They'd, they'd say at the end, they'd say, basically, Pastor, we'd communicate in our little Spanglish back and forth. They'd say, Pastor, you've been very, very kind. Thank you. But we cannot keep up with the language. You know what my prayer was? My prayer and the elders' prayer was, God, give us a Spanish speaker. And here was my, here was my prayer. Here's what was in my mind when I prayed this. I said, God, supernaturally gift me with Spanish fluently or bring me a teammate. God can do that. God, I don't have time to learn Spanish. I should know more. My mom's fluent. I grew up thinking I was Mexican. I should know more Spanish. Forgive me. But now I really need it. I really want it. God supernaturally gift me with Spanish. I want to wake up speaking Spanish one day or bring me a teammate. So you know the story. Angel showed up. Angel showed up years ago and he hasn't left yet. In fact, he just keeps bringing more and more people. And so God is still working the plan. I've borne witness to it right here. I've seen God do what he does, speaking the glories of God in their native language. That is happening right here in this building. In fact, if you stick around, if you don't speak Spanish, stick around, skip the game. Meaningful football's over. (laughs) Honestly, the Cowboys are out of it. Let's get back to real life. (laughs) I've lost some of you. All right. If you have a DVR, you're already recording it. So just stick around next hour and, and watch people sing of the glories of God in their, in their native tongue. Watch the word of God preached in Spanish. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift to sit through even if you don't speak a word of Spanish. Just to recognize that is our church family. That is God's doing. God's supplies. When it comes to working the plan, I love this quote by Eugene Peterson. He says, Lord Jesus, I will not harness you to my requirements, but offer myself to yours. God doesn't give the Holy Spirit to help you accomplish your dreams. You are clothed with power on high to fulfill God's mission. That's why. Wild things will go on around you, but don't you dare start claiming credit for it or looking for those things. The plan of God is as clear as the Golden Gate Bridge. Go that way. It will hold you. Do you see the cars and the tour buses going by? You're good. Walk that way. Honestly, the plan of God for your life is that crystal clear today for all of us. All right, finally. While there's always much that we don't know, we can walk forward in faith. Here's the third one. The third one is don't fear the fog. Um, If you were a child growing up in my household, then you will have driven all over the place with me. And we have something in our house called the fog monster. The fog monster is this. Uh, Imagine driving up 280, and we see this all the time, especially like Half Moon Bay, how the fog sort of just creeps over the mountains. So we have sort of... uh, is it anthropomorphized? The fog. Like I've turned that into a, a character. And um, 
And that was called, called Fog Monster. And I would say, like, Fog Monster's coming. And sometimes I'd, like, it's fun to add a little bit of adventure and scariness to the car ride. And sometimes I would overdo it. My wife needs to nudge me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm freaking the kids out. Oh, look, the Fog Monster just wants to give us a hug. So the Fog, <laughs> the fog Monster is, like, really angry and mean and scary. But sometimes he's, like, just gentle and hugs you. It may say more about what's going on in my own internal soul. I'm not sure. But don't fear the fog. Don't fear the fog, right? There's no logical reason to fear walking across this bridge at all. But the unseen is scary. The unknown stirs up fear. Do you know why there's race problems? Because there's fear of the unknown. I don't know you. You're different. You look different, sound different, smell different, sing different, talk different, think different. Therefore, you must be bad. I'm right. (laughs) Something like that. That's how it goes. This event caused a stir. The wind and the fire are obvious signs, and yet it still left people at the end of this passage saying, what does this mean? By the way, the fact that these people, filled with the Holy Spirit, now speaking foreign languages, is given the uh, conclusion by some that they must be drunk. Now, There are some people so blinded to the supernatural, miracles hurt their brain. It doesn't fit in with what they already know. They fear that. The supernatural is so out there that they they describe everything by the natural. Does this sound familiar at all? This is the day and age that we live in. And the folly of this description lands heavy on us. Question. Have you ever met drunk people who suddenly are fluent in languages they don't study? Is that, when you see that, you go, I bet they've been drinking a lot. (laughs) To my knowledge, people who drink have their speech slurred, not clarified into other languages they've never studied, right? Otherwise, my strategy for missions here at the church would be to drink myself silly so I could hurry up and get Spanish. That never crossed my mind because that's idiotic. When you leave the supernatural completely gone, you're like, we know it can't be supernatural. What's the natural explanation? You come up with these kinds of things. They must be drunk. Peter's first sermon might be his best sermon. That's not true of most preachers. It wasn't true of me. But Peter's first sermon starts with, they're not drunk. That's a great opening line to a sermon. I'm going to try that someday. (laughs) Fear God or don't fear God. Doesn't the Bible tell us to fear God? It does. I just open with Hebrews that we're to offer our worship in fear and reverence. Awe. So should we fear God or should we not fear God? But we should be terrified if we aren't on God's team. Because our lives are in ongoing rebellion against him. But working with God, we are to fear as in these kinds of terms. Respect, marvel, awe, remember he's a consuming fire. So the kind of fear we talk about is not cower or flinch. You can tell an abused puppy and sometimes an abused person because they flinch. The body remembers trauma. Praise God, we don't fear, flinch, or cower before God in that way. We can trust God. 
but nor do we talk about him as our cosmic buddy. We recognize that his ways are higher than our ways, and in a moment he can do what he did in Acts chapter 2. Let me have the band come on up. There's lots of fog in your life. And it's not because I know you. I may have never met you before. I can tell you there's lots of fog in your life. There's lots of fog in our city. There's lots of fog going around all the time. We do not need to fear. What I want to do next Sunday is move from what's obvious here, what's plain for us, and move into the mysterious regarding the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. I reviewed with our family this little New City Catechism. It has a couple of questions very specifically about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you with these because this is now taking us outside the text of Acts chapter 2, which is okay. But the question is this. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Before I give you the answer that the New City Catechism question asks, what do you think about that? Just ponder that for a second. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Let me offer a short, concise, biblically accurate answer. Answer, that he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Simple, right? That's it. That's the answer. You can memorize that. What do we believe about about the Holy Spirit? That he is God, co-eternal, with the Father and the Spirit. Do you know who is there at creation? The Spirit. Genesis tells us that. I know that, not because I was there, not because I'm hypothesizing. God's revealed that. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. As we turn to closing in song, let me just leave you with this thought that as an action item this week don't let the fog keep you from doing what you know is right don't let the fog keep you from doing what you know is right so many times we stop and pray about it we stop and gain more information we stop and what that is it's actually disobedience so we don't want to give up control because we can't see the rest of the bridge God, would you help us? We need your spirit alive and well in us. We receive that as true today, right now. God, thank you that we don't have to wonder about that. We can walk on that safely, securely. We could do cartwheels on that. God, and your path is laid out. Your command is clear. It's to go. And so, God, I pray as we sing in this song around here sometimes that you would send us out in your love to put action and proclamation to what you're doing and teaching in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.